Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor amidst all of the palms. These like six inches being forward like really matter to me. I'm not sure why. Feeling closer to you. Seriously. Like there's something different about being here versus being here. I don't know what that is. Um, Today's message is called The Devil's Best Argument. And so this is the beginning of a message that will conclude next week at Easter. So I say that at the outset because if there are parts of this message that are disturbing to you, remember that the conclusion of today's message is next week on Easter Sunday. Okay, today's Palm Sunday, Sunday before Easter. Um, this is the day that commemorates Jesus' entrance into the city of Jerusalem long, long ago. And Luke uh, chapter 19, verses 35 to 39, tell us what happened. I'm going to put these verses up on the screens. They're in your bulletin. Um, if you want to take some notes, you can do that there. It says this, it says, And they brought the colt to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on it. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. So Palm Sunday starts out amazing, as Mike just prayed. You know, the people got it right, even if it was just for a minute. Um, and we celebrate that. We celebrate on this day that the people of Israel got it right. They were honoring Jesus as the king. Uh, this was like an inauguration celebration uh, because the people received Jesus. And the idea is that Jesus is coming to reign as the king of Israel. For hundreds of years, the Jews in the first century, they had been promised by the Old Testament. Uh, for hundreds of years, they had these promises from the Old Testament that said there was coming a day when God himself would come and establish himself as Israel's king. And then he and his people would bless all the nations of the earth where he and his people, they would, that Jerusalem would become like the heartbeat of the world and it would pump the love and the grace and the presence of God into every tribe and, and tongue and people and nation. And here on Palm Sunday, Jesus is now coming and he's being received as the God who would begin to reign. And so there is so much to celebrate. Well, but as the praises rise, as the praise rises from the people, so also the opposition rises, right? We see this in verse 39. The Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of that day, and they were opposed to Jesus, and they were indignant. They heard the crowd hailing Jesus as king, and they demanded that Jesus stand down. This opposition uh, this animosity, uh, this um, relationship that the religious leaders had with Jesus was actually empowered and masterminded by an even greater adversary. 
The opposition to Jesus on Palm Sunday from the Pharisees was inspired by the devil. It was inspired by the devil. And the devil had been opposing Jesus from the beginning of his ministry and throughout it. Early in his ministry, in, uh, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was sent out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, what we're doing now during Lent, it says this, uh, when, the, when the fasting was, when the temptation was over, it says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So the devil leaves, not because he's giving up, but because he's going to come back again and again and again and again. The word devil just means adversary. That's what it means. Um, and the devil spent Jesus' ministry as the adversary fighting against Jesus. Sometimes the devil was using people. Sometimes he came himself. Sometimes he used people. Um, sometimes he would inspire even Jesus' own. Like there's a moment when Jesus uh, says to Peter, right? One of the 12, he says, get behind me, Satan. And so the adversary, the devil, was even able to use Jesus' closest companions against him. And, Jesus, and the devil wasn't just tempting Jesus to do something wrong, but he was actively trying to usurp Jesus' authority. He was trying to take over. Why? I don't know if you've ever wondered about this, but I've wondered about this. Like, why? Like, doesn't the devil know what's going to happen? Can he read the Bible? You know, he kind of understands the end. It's not like he hasn't been able to see that. And, and so I've always wondered, like, why? What, what motivates the devil to do what the devil does? And um, I think a lot of people think, and I thought this for a while because somebody said this, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But some people think that the devil is just a disgruntled loser, um, like someone who has the worst day ever and they're so angry when they get home that they find their dog and they kick it across their apartment just because they're like, I'm suffering, I'm gonna make you suffer. And so the idea here is that the devil knows he's defeated, but he wants to bring as many people down with him as possible. And I think there's something about that that makes sense. But the more I've thought about this, the more I've um, experienced temptation and deceit and warfare, the more I've read the Bible, I've come to a different conclusion. Um, I don't believe that the devil thinks he's going to lose at all. Um, I believe the devil knows what the Bible says about his future, but I believe the devil is still fighting and he believes he's going to win. So he hasn't given up. He thinks he's still going to come out on top. Now, how could he think this, right? How could he possibly think this? Well, I think it's because on Palm Sunday, the devil actually has all the evidence on his side. Like the devil has scoreboard. You know, if you tally up the points between the devil and God, the devil makes a pretty strong case, a very compelling argument that he is, that he is winning and that he's going to win. So I think the devil would probably stand and say, look, I'm in control. I'm actually the one in charge. He would say, look, even your Bible says that I am the God of this world. Did you know that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so the devil has the power to blind. The devil has authority and he's called the God of this world. And if you look back over the Bible, from the beginning, he has had incredible power on earth. I mean, think about the main stories of the Bible. Like in the beginning, Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve didn't just break a rule, but the devil convinced them to not trust God. The devil convinced them that God wasn't on their side, that he didn't have their best interests at heart, and he convinced them to follow him. Cain and Abel. The devil turned the first two kids into warring brothers. He persuaded Cain to murder his brother in an act of jealous rage, and he's been sowing jealousy, backstabbing, and war ever since. Think about prior to Noah and the flood. The devil got the people of the earth and the rulers of the world to do things that made God regret that he even made humanity in the first place. Think about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, God does all these amazing things in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right? And yet, and then God brings them out of Egypt in this unbelievable display of God's power and this unbelievable work of God's love and kindness and grace. And yet on the way to the promised land, the devil sowed his seed into their hearts and they drifted away from God. While God was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai, the devil had wormed his way in and the Israelites were in a drunken orgy that almost caused God to destroy them at the foot of Mount Sinai. And the power, the power that he has in the promised land, they didn't follow God, but turned their backs on him over and over and over and over again. In the book of Judges, there's 12 cycles of it where they leave God following after other gods that are inspired by the devil. And then for hundreds of years, God sent to his people prophet after prophet after prophet trying to get them to follow him, warning them, but they didn't listen because the devil had power over them. And so the people of Israel were conquered and they were exiled. They were removed from the promised land. So the devil has scoreboard if you read the Old Testament. And then not just in the, in, in, in the past history, but man, what about the world today? Right? We look at the world today, our own world. It's, sometimes it's hard to believe that God's in control, isn't it? I mean, oppression, greed, abuse of power, drugs, injustice. I mean, it's everywhere. It's on every corner. It's in every part of our world. I mean, it's in our families. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in our workplaces. 
And even when the church is supposed to be God's solution, right? We're supposed to be the family that shows the rest of the world the way God's new humanity is supposed to look like, right? Like, And the church is plagued with division, hypocrisy. And it's hard to trust God, right, when things fall apart. It's hard to understand how God's in control when cancer comes, when kids end up in tragic situations, when our relationships don't work out. I mean, in everything, it seems like, not just in the past, but even today, it looks and feels like he's winning. And what's devious about the devil is that he just wants you to live whatever life you want to live. Right? Doesn't require commitment, doesn't require, you don't have to do anything, you just need to, you know, following him is as... Simple as just doing what you want to do. He is still trying to gather followers because he still wants to win. I mean, here are just some of the principles that he offers us. Um, You only live once. So, like, life, and that life is short. You need to live it up. You don't want to miss out. Second, hey, there's no judgment. I mean, come on. Like, as long as you're not hurting anyone, just do whatever feels good. And even if there is a God, he'll overlook your mistakes. He's love, right? I mean, he's love. What you do doesn't really matter. Just don't hurt anybody. You're fine. And then the third one, this one might be the most devious. Um, He says, if it makes sense to you, it must be true. So do what makes sense. Look, just just do your best. Because you can't sift through all of the options out there. You can't sift through all the religions and all the different philosophies. It's just too much. It's too much. Like, There are people much smarter than you that argue over this stuff. Like, you can't figure it out. And so, like, don't worry about it. Like, just just do your best. Truth for you is what makes sense to you. When I think about his perspectives in those ways, when I think about that message that he offers to us, I feel like if we're honest, in some ways, we are all like kind of already living these ways. You know, like we already act like oftentimes there is no life beyond the grave. I mean, think about it. When you say, I have to have this, or I have to get this, or I have to do this, in some ways we're acting like this life is all that there is. Already, we were often acting like, in our lives, like there's no accountability. Because you kind of just do what you want, right? And you, we, we, not you, we, um, we sometimes take advantage of God's grace. 
well, he's got to forgive us. We know he will. Every Sunday, right? We just show up. We confess our sins during the second song. Communion, we're good, right? Wash clean. God understands. And we take that forgiveness. We act like there's really no accountability. Like God just, (laughs) the no worries mentality. That's what God says. Oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Sometimes we get angry with people who are hurt by what we do. <laughs> like, dang, why are you so angry? You know, I'm sorry. Get over it. Now you're the one who has a problem here. Um, when we do that, when we think that, we're acting like there's really no accountability. So we're already living in this way. And then we already act oftentimes like what makes sense to you must be true. Because instead of filling your mind with the Bible, instead of filling your heart with God's presence, you just kind of wing it. And there's so many times in life where you're not asking the questions, God, what do you want from me here? God, what is it that I can do? Like, how how could I know what you think about this situation? God, do you say anything in your word about this? Are there people in my life that I know who are walking closely with you that I could talk to about what I need to do so that I would honor you with this decision? Right? How often are we doing that? When we don't do that, we're just doing what we think is right, sort of hoping for the best. And the devil's too smart he would never tell us to disregard Jesus. The devil would say, no, 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 Jesus is respectable. Like, I mean, come on. Like his teachings, some of his teachings were amazing. Um, He spent time with people that nobody else spent time with, right? I mean, he deserves honor and respect, but I mean, his demands are a little much, aren't they? Like is hate really the same as murder? Like, lust in your mind is really the same as adultery? I mean, come on. Like, I get it. It's an illustration, right? I mean, don't take that seriously. Um, I think you would say, look, um, it's one thing to be a respectable leader and a moral, like, source, but he wants you to obey him in every area of your life? I mean, that, that just that feels like a little bit too much. And so this brings us back to Palm Sunday. Um, we started with Palm Sunday. We looked, at the, you know, we looked at the history of the past. We looked at today. We looked at our lives. But Palm Sunday was kind of the beginning of the final victory of the devil over Jesus. Jesus finally comes as king, and people receive him as king, And that's when he moved to get rid of him. The Romans were the pinnacle of human achievement. The Jews were the height of spirituality and religion. They hated each other, but the devil got them to conspire together to get rid of Jesus. And not just to kill him, but to humiliate him with the worst possible torturous death imaginable in the world at that time. Because they hung him on a cross. 
And in that way, man, the devil, like his power was never stronger. And so, if the devil has scoreboard like this, like what's Jesus' score? Right, all these things listed on the devil's side and the things that would show that he is strong and that he is powerful and that maybe he's even in control. What does Jesus have? Well, Jesus has one thing on his side of the scoreboard. He has one thing, but that one thing means everything. We're going to see that one thing next week on Easter. But the reason that we're doing this today, the reason that we're looking at the devil and we're seeing maybe even his perspective and how he would argue uh, for himself is because the Bible wants us to do this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, It says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. I think so many of us are ignorant of the devil's designs. And so we end up outwitted by the adversary. Without walking through this darkness we will never appreciate the light. And so this idea, you know, the, the, these ideas, I want to bring them back in terms of these questions. Like, ask yourself, how do you live as though this life is the only life that you will live? How do you live as though there is no coming judgment and no accountability? How do you live as though your thinking is the final say on what's true? The devil's word is strong. It's persuasive. But it's not the last word. It's not the last word. The devil says that God is irrelevant and you don't need forgiveness. But the gospel says that God is Father and he stands ready to forgive. The devil's ways would leave you ignoring your sins and living happy, generally on the surface. But the gospel leads you to confess your sins and living honestly, in the forgiving grace of Jesus. The passage in 2 Corinthians 2.11, it's the context of it is about forgiveness. I don't have a slide for this, but Paul said, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. 
And what's powerful about this, I just read you verses, um, uh, verse 10 before verse 11. What's powerful about verse 10 is that it, it combines the exposure of the designs of the devil, the exposure of his schemes, the exposure of his lies is all wrapped up in forgiveness. Because the devil tries to convince us that his ways are right and he piles up all this evidence to try to get us to follow him. And he knows that he's got hearts that are already sort of bent away from God. And forgiveness is the road back. Like forgiveness is the way that we are freed from his designs. It's how, it's forgiveness is how we keep from being outwitted by the devil. And so, again, this is the beginning of a message that will conclude next week at Easter. The devil's words are strong and they are persuasive, but his word is not the last word. If this is disturbing for you, remember that the conclusion of this message is next week at Easter. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you with grateful hearts. Grateful hearts that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's your kindness and your grace that make it safe for us to confess the ways that we have been lured away and enticed by the designs and the schemes of the devil. We pray that you would help us not just to understand his ways, but to understand how we have fallen prey to his ways. Give us a spirit of discernment and bring to mind in our own lives the ways that we have fallen under his spell and lead us to confess our sins so that we might experience your forgiveness anew. Draw near to us, especially, God, for those who are here and don't walk with you yet. Help them to see the bondage that they're in and the trap that's been laid for them and be set free today because of your love. We pray this in your name. Amen.